0: Uh, This uh, morning, as Brad mentioned, we are starting into a a new series uh, on the book of Deuteronomy. And there are some books of the Bible that I just, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, they they have some intimidation factor for them. And I think, for me, Deuteronomy is maybe one of those. Maybe it is a little bit for you as well. But I'm also, at the same time, very excited about it, Uh, just because of so much that is in this text, and uh, so much that we can learn, and I think what God would want to teach us uh, through this. One uh, commentator uh, coined this phrase, uh, "The Gospel According to Moses," as a as a sort of a title for this text, and we've we've borrowed from that because I think it's a helpful phrase in many ways. Um, as we look through De- Deuteronomy, and we'll see that there are many parallels, and also how it points forward uh, to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and what we see in the New Testament. And one of the things that we want to do throughout this series is is very intentionally do that is look at what what is uh, God saying and God doing in the Old Testament, and how that points us forward and connects with what is there in the New uh, Testament as well. Um, I think there are many reasons, uh, important reasons, to study this great book, and I think we'll, we'll see them through the course of these weeks in a variety of ways. One of the things that we will do is we'll, we'll learn, uh, f- or for some, to relearn and to remind ourselves of, of some of the history that is there through the people of Israel, uh, what it is that brought them there to this point of where uh, Moses is... is uh, Sharing this gospel or this, this sermon to them, and we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, for many of us, I think that these might be stories that we know and maybe remember intellectually, and we maybe remember some of them or many of them or whatever, but at the same time, uh, it, it's such a challenge to think about uh, how it connects to the 20, 2015. I mean, it just, some of these stories are so otherworldly that sometimes we go, okay, how does this sort of come all the way forward and connect with us here today. And yet, as I've mentioned, I think we'll see that there are, are many, many applications for us. So I encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1. It's uh, the fifth book in on the front of the Bible uh, for you, and we'll step into some of these verses here in the first chapter and uh, just touch into chapter 1 as well. So I want to start with Deuteronomy 1 verse 1 where Moses says these are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Suf, between Paran on one side, Tophel, Laban, and Hezeroth, and Dizahab on the other. So it says here that these are the words of Moses that God spoke uh, to the people of Israel at this time. They are on the east side of the Jordan River. They are gathering together as a community of people that have gone through a lot. And now Moses is gathering this flock and he is speaking to them uh, this message or a series of messages really as he comes to them more as a pastor than anything as opposed to a prophet and other roles that he has played at different times. So Moses is preparing these people And preparing their hearts and wanting to challenge them and encourage them for what lies ahead. And what lies ahead of them is this promised land. Of of entering into this promised land and and claiming this promise that God has already given them, this people. But the reality is, is that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be incredibly challenging. And so he's speaking to them. Now, if we remember uh, some of the history, and just to think back of uh, how is it that the people got here, we will remember that these were a people, this nation of Israel, that was formed out of a promise, formed out of a promise that God gave to Abraham, and we see that right in in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls out Abraham and he says to him, I want you to take your family and I want you to go. I want you to go to another land where I'm going to show you. And he doesn't tell him exactly where he's going to go or what it's all going to be in front of him. But he says, I want you to take the blessing of God to the nations of the earth and to the families of the earth. And then a little bit later on in Genesis chapter 15, God says to to Abraham, he says, not only that, but I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And if you remember, Abraham and Sarah were barren. Sarah was not able to have children. They were also very old and very advanced in their years, and so this promise that God gives to Abraham is quite a staggering promise because of all the implications of it and what it could mean. But this is where this, these people, this tribe of, of Israel begins. And then you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this, the descendants that go down from there. And out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel through his sons, if you remember, one of those being Joseph. Not the one in the New Testament with Mary, but the one with a coat of many colors and the one who had the ability to interpret dreams and the one who his brothers really couldn't stand and so they threw him in a pit, then throw, sold him into slavery and sent him off to Egypt, if you remember that story. And Joseph goes to Egypt and he's in the household of Potiphar and he's thrown in prison again and then he gets put in second in command in all of Egypt and he is interpreting a dream that is happening at that time and he says that there's going to be a great prosperity for seven years and then there's going to be great famine and so he's put in charge of this land. And the famine comes and his family then comes all the way and they come to Egypt and he rescues them, reveals himself to them and he saves them through the wisdom that he had and how God was working through him at that time. And that is the story of Joseph and how those people got to Egypt. And then a pharaoh came who forgot all about this history. And the people of Israel multiplied. And they became slaves in Egypt because they got so big. And then God calls out Moses and he says, I want you to rescue my people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And so God uses Moses to take these people and to rescue them and the amazing stories of the Red Sea and the plagues and all that happened back there in that history. Okay, if we remember the story. And God takes these people... And has Moses lead these people out of slavery, and he heads them towards this promised land, this covenant promise that he has with Moses and with his people now. It's quite an amazing story. And now Moses is standing there with these people, some 40 years later, and he's recalling the history. And he's, he's saying to them, do you, do you remember? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember what we went through. Do you remember what God did? Do you remember how we responded? And he's retelling the story here in Deuteronomy and reminding these people for a whole variety of reasons, as we will see. So it continues on in Deuteronomy 1 verse 2, and it says this, normally it only takes 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by the way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything that the Lord had commanded him to say. I find that, that verse and that passage right there a staggering truth. I mean, what an amazing truth. I mean, we've all been on road trips that seem to take forever, haven't we? I mean, that just... Went a long, long time. You wondered, okay, are we ever going to get there? You've been on those. Maybe some of you have had your children in the vehicle on those, and you know the thing. I mean, if there was ever a story or a road trip that this was a are we there yet kind of story, I mean, this was it. And so these people had, this, had traveled this distance. What it says in the account is it should have only taken 11 days to travel this distance, but it took 40 years. Something's happening there in that story. Moses is recalling this story and reminding them of this story, and that they are covenant people, that they are God, uh, God's people, his chosen possession, but that they have responded in ways that have not been pleasing to God, and there's a reason for this story. I hope even as we go into this, uh, this somewhat intimidating book, as I said, that you won't feel a little bit like that on the way as well, that as we kind of go through these series that it'll feel like, you know, we should have got through Deuteronomy in about 11 days, but it felt like 40 years. Um, Hopefully that won't be the case. I promise it won't be that long. But we know that something is going on here about the character of God and also the response of the people and the character of people. And we're going to see that throughout this series and introduce uh, ourselves to that today. So the word Deuteronomy or the name comes from, and what it means is just simply the second law, or it means a repetition of the law. Because here in this story, and we'll see that in the, in the weeks ahead, uh, it is a second version of the law that is given in Exodus and Leviticus and in Numbers as well. And as mentioned already, Moses is trying to encourage these people, mobilize these people, motivate these people to go forward into the promised land and prepare them for what comes ahead on the other side of the Jordan River. And he's saying to them, you need to be prepared to claim this land, to claim this promise that God has already set apart for you. And there are going to be challenges. There's going to be many hardships. There will be times of fear and doubt. And so that's why Moses is retelling their story. Reminding them, first of all, whose they are. Reminding them also some of the consequences of sin. And reminding them of the faithfulness of God. So that they will have the courage to move forward into what is an unknown future even though it is in the hands of God, but they can't see that far down the road. You know, when I was thinking of that truth, it, what struck me was that so often we sometimes think that when we are doing God's will or if we sense that God is leading us in a certain way and we step out in faith, that, that if we are doing God's will, then everything will go easy and that that somehow is a sign and an evidence of actually being in obedience to God. And that if we hit hardship, Or we hit challenges along the way that maybe somehow we missed it. Maybe somehow we sort of took a wrong turn and now we're not being obedient to God, but we're being disobedient because there's hardship there. And yet as we look throughout all of the stories and the accounts in Scripture, we see that that is not at all the case. Obedience often leads to great hardship. In fact, for some people as we look in Scripture, obedience even led to their death. And so to make that correlation that obedience to God and walking in the will of God will somehow make life easy is not an accurate correlation. And we see that as Moses is recounting some of these challenges to these people as well. Now they, on the other hand, they were disobedient and they were going in a different path. But oftentimes, even as we walk in the will of God and as these people would do that, they would also find that it was not going to be easy as well. So for Israel... They're about to enter a land that is filled with the people that they really don't know. People who had no real knowledge of who God is. A place of false idols where there'll be all kinds of temptations to idolatry. All kinds of temptations to incorporate into the, the lives and the compromise into the lives and the cultures that they are going to enter into. And so what they needed at this time was not eloquence. What they needed was a word from the Lord. They needed these reminders from Moses at this time. And so Moses in verses one or six to eight, he recalls their history. And he says this, when we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, you stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighboring regions, the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, the Negev, and the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it, for it is the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all their descendants. So Moses begins by recounting their history and recalling the mission that God has given them as a covenant people. And it's interesting, as you, if you keep reading, he starts to recount some of the burdens of leadership, and he says, yeah, you are really difficult people to lead. In fact, he says, you are such a heavy load to carry. How can I deal with all your problems and all your bickering? And so he's sort of recalling some of the challenges, even for him as a leader, amidst these people and, and moving forward. But he also, in, in one of the verses that fall in verse 10, he, he says that, God is a God who keeps his promises, because you are a people who are now as numerous as the stars in the sky. So even in reminding them of their history, he's reminding them of God's faithfulness of keeping his promise. Because he says, "You are now those people. You are now that numerous. You are now, you have multiplied to that point that that this promise that God has given has actually come true. Then he reads in verse 19 to 21 as he continues to tell their story. He says, then just as the Lord, our God, commanded us, we left Mount Sinai, traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness as you yourselves remember. And we headed towards the hill country of the Amorites. And when we arrived at Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites that the Lord our God is giving us. Look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Kadesh Barnea was really the gateway to the promised land. It's the first site that they came upon just a few years into their journey, actually, after having left Egypt. It was early on. If you go back into Numbers chapters 11 to 14, you can read that account of what happened there at that, uh, at that juncture of their journey. And if you remember, the, the people of Israel, and, and, and Moses is reminding him. he says, yeah, if you remember, we decided to send out scouts. The people said, why don't we send some scouts into the land and just have a look and see what it looks like, see what's going on there. And Moses says, yeah, I thought that was a good idea too. So they send out 12 tribal leaders representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go into the land for 40 days and come back and give a report. Ten of them come back fearful. Ten of them saw only obstacles and reported that back to Moses. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, trusted God and said, no, you know what? There's all kinds of possibilities. And they pointed to the abundance. They pointed to the milk and honey. They pointed to the uh, abundant fruit that was there in this land and all the good things that God was preparing for them. But the ten... saw the challenges. The ten just saw the giants that were in the land. They just saw the huge walls that were there around the cities, and they caused the people to operate in fear, to withdraw to their tents, and to complain. They were demoralized, fearful, full of doubt, lacking faith. So Moses is reminding these people, do you remember way back then? Do you remember all those years ago when we We're on the precipice of entering Kadesh Barnea into this promised land, and this is the response. This is what happened. This is what we as a people did. This is what you as a people did. You chose to operate in fear and not to step forward in obedience. I found it interesting as they sent out this group of 12 people, and I thought, you know, it might be actually a good caution for each one of us. The first indication of belief is that, or of unbelief, is where you establish a committee. You know, they first of all established a committee and they said, okay, let's send a committee in, go and explore the land, see what it looks like, come back and report and see what we should do. They didn't need to go in and have reconnaissance mission. They already had God who was going ahead of them to do that. And yet they were unwilling to claim this land and so they rebelled and they stayed in their tents. And then in verse 29 to 33, Moses says this. He reminds them and he says, but I said to you, if you remember, don't be shocked or afraid of them. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness. Just as a father cares for his child, now he has brought you to this place. But even after all that he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar, pillar of cloud by day. So jo- Moses again, reminds them of this part of the story. And he's encouraging them by telling them of the character of God, of who God is and what God has done. And he says, you need to remember this. And I tried to tell you even back then to remember this in order to put the fear in perspective. Yes, the people are big and the walls of the city are big, but God is a divine warrior, he says in this text. God is the God who goes ahead of you and fights for you. He says, God is a divine guide who guides you. Don't you remember how God guided you with, as a pillar of cloud and as a pillar of fire and led you as a people of Israel through the wilderness all those years ago? Don't you remember that? And then lastly, he says, God is a divine father. And that beautiful imagery in this text, he says he is just as a father who cares for his child. And in the same way, God has been caring for you and will care for you. So Moses encourages them by pointing to the character of God. And he says you need to remember these are the things that are true of who God is. These are the things that are true of what God has done. And yet there is a price to disobedience. You know, one of the truths in all of Scripture that we need to hold in tension and that we need to understand and embrace both aspects is this idea that God is a holy God, that God is one who we need to come in trembling and fear before this holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin, a God who is judge, but also this overwhelming truth that God is a God of extravagant love and grace, and that both of these are true, and that both of these need to be embraced to understand who God is. Part of the challenge for us is I think we have no human experience of encountering people like this because no one is like this where you have a person who is both loving and encouraging and so filled with grace as well as being holy and just and judge and judging sin harshly and so we tend to sort of pick one side or the other and we gravitate towards one side or the other and yet we see throughout scripture that we need to view God and understand God as having these attributes together scripture continuously points us to this tension in both the new testament and the old testament and also in the new testament So there's a a price to pay for their disobedience. And Moses reminds them of that in the verses that follow. And he says how God then says that none of you, none of this generation will actually enter into the promised land. And in fact, you, Moses, as a leader of this people, you too as leader will not enter into the promised land. But Joshua will take the people through. And Caleb will be the only person of the people who will actually enter into the promised land. But their children will be the ones who go in. And then in verse 40 of chapter 1, he says this, As for you, turn around now and go back to, through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And he points them to the consequence of their sin. This is quite a price to pay. He says these people now, you need to turn around and go back towards the Red Sea. Go back towards where you came from. Can you imagine So then what do they do? Well, if you continue to read in the text, these people said, no, no, okay, we will go up. We'll go up into the hill country of Kadesh Barnea and we will take this land. But now God's favor is not upon them because now what was at one time uh, an act of faith was now actually an act of rebellion. And it says in that account that as these people went up that the, the people that living in the land, they came down and they swarmed them like bees is how it describes it. This land flowing with milk and honey was full of bees attacking them, sending them scurrying, sending them back because God was not with them because now they were responding out of disobedience, not obedience. You see, Kadesh Barnea, as I said, was a gateway to the promised land. But Israel failed in their unbelief. And it's not enough for us to just believe in God, but it's important that we also believe God. And it's what Moses is saying to these people, that it's really important that we live in faith and not just believe in who God is, but also walk in obedience to what he calls us to do. That's what Moses is reminding these people about. So here in verse 40, where they're told to turn around and go back, we see this this incredible literal and figurative turning point of the people of Israel. That they're supposed to retrace their their steps and head back in that direction towards the Red Sea, And it's almost like in one stroke, the exodus was sort of annulled and the nation's history is reversed due to disobedience. Now this generation, Moses says, is not going to enter into this promise. And then there's that interesting verse in chapter 2, verse 1, where it says this, Then we turned around and we headed back across the wilderness towards the Red Sea, just as the Lord had instructed me. And we wandered around in the region of Mount Seir for a long time. Now, there's an understatement. About 13,880 days, 38 years. Because of their disobedience, they wandered around a long, long time. You know, it's quite a price to pay for their sin, isn't it? But the one thing that we need to understand is that sin matters to God. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament today, as we talked about this same God who is judge and who is holy, also is a God of love and grace. For the people of Israel, the the penalty was this 38 additional years of wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience. As we come forward into the New Testament and we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's still an incredible price to pay for sin. But the amazing story is that that price has been paid by Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate during this Easter season. of of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, and the implications of those things for us, that this high cost of sin is still there, but it's been paid for. And again, it's just ours to receive and to embrace. As we look at this truth of Kadesh Barnea as the turning point for the people of Israel, it might cause us to ask the question, what what is our turning point? What is the place that we stand on the precipice? What is our sort of gateway to the next step of obedience that God is calling us to? The reality is is that we we fight different kind of battles today. It's a different kind of thing than what the people of Israel were about to face. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul describes it this way. As he says, the final word, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, put on the armor of God. God has equipped you, prepared you, and has given you all that you need through his Holy Spirit. And it points to this truth that it is a different kind of battle that we face today. And yet I think the reality is, is that For every follower of Jesus, we stand on the brink of a future that is greater than what we can see at the moment. Maybe it's the next season, maybe it's a road ahead that sort of dips down over the horizon and we can't see that far because we're not God and we don't know what lies just over that horizon. But we're continually called to walk in faith. We're continually called to take steps of obedience as God continues to call us forward. And sometimes we just see the unknowns and we just see the challenges, or do we also see the opportunities and the possibilities and the character of God and the faithfulness of God? What is it that causes us to reflect on in those moments, at those points in our lives? Because, you see, it's a future that is already secured. It's already been paid for. It's a promise that's already been fulfilled, just like Moses is reminding these people of the promise that God had for them. They just needed to claim it. And sometimes for us, we're just like the people of Israel that we need reminding of God's faithfulness. We need to be challenged again to have courage, to walk in faith, to be strong in the Lord, to realize that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's a different kind of battle today. But God has given us all that we need for this battle. This God that is referenced in this story is the very same God that we worship today, is the very same God that invites us into relationship today, is the very same God that invites us to take steps of obedience today and to walk in faith and to have courage and to not lose hope and to not sit and be immobilized by doubts and fears. This is a God who still has the same character of a God who is a warrior who goes before us and fights for us, who has the same character of a God who guides us and leads us just as he did to the people of Israel is the same God who is the most loving father. Like a father who cares for a child. And So the invitation for us is continually to trust him. To have courage. To walk in obedience. Not just as individuals, but also as a church. To just trust God that he has a plan for the church. A plan for our church. A plan for the church to move forward in faith into a future that is not fully known, but who... God has gone before us In we just need to trust. I think one of the questions for us is, do we just stand in fear and become immobilized or do we embrace our identity and our calling and who God is and step into an unknown territory in the confidence of who he is and what he has done? That's our challenge and that's our prayer. I want to invite the worship team if they would come up at this time. And I want to lead us in prayer together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredibly rich text that tells us so much of this history that we are a part of. And Lord, we just thank you for the way that you call out individuals like Moses to lead a people. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is holy and awesome, but also a God who is so full of love and extravagant grace. Thank you, Lord, for the price that has been paid for our sin through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us and your invitation to continue to move forward. How you continue to call us to take steps of faith and obedience into a future that we can't fully see, but we need to look to you in order to trust you for the parts that we can't see. That's called faith. And Lord, I pray that for each one of us here that you would help us to walk in that kind of faith because of trusting who you are. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen.